A federal judge blocks the ACA rule requiring insurers to cover preventative care. And Chicago is competing for another big biomedical hub. I'll talk with Crane's healthcare reporter Katherine Davis about that and other life sciences efforts underway in and around Chicago. Medical innovation requires so much capital and usually so much time. These are really long bets too. So I think it's harder to find those investors interested in sort of, uh, you know, investing a ton of money and waiting. I'm Amy Guth and this is Crane's Daily Gist for Monday, April 3rd. Rest easy knowing your business's savings are secure and earning more with a Wintrust MaxSafe account. With MaxSafe, you'll get up to 15 times more than the standard FDIC protection. That's right, 15 times more protection with the ability to secure up to $3.75 million per account holder. Now that's banking as it should be. Call 833-MAX-SAFE to talk with a local Wintrust banker today. That's 833-MAX-SAFE. Peace of mind is just a phone call away. Banking products provided by Wintrust Financial Corporation Banks. Member FDIC. See FDIC.gov for deposit insurance coverage rules. Chicago is competing for another big biomedical hub. I mentioned this briefly on a previous episode of the podcast, but here to discuss it in depth, Crane's healthcare reporter, Catherine Davis. Catherine, welcome back. Hey, Amy. Thanks for having me. Certainly. Always. Okay, so tell me about this uh, this new biomedical hub that, that Chicago is competing for. So this is called the Advanced Research Projects Agency for Health, or ARPA-H. Remember that? acronym because I'll be using it a lot. Sure. (laughs) And this is a new federal agency proposed by the Biden administration to focus on biomedical innovation and sort of take on these big sort of chronic conditions that Americans are afflicted with. So think like cancer, diabetes, stuff like that. Um, And the aim is to, you know, use federal funding and put it into our medical academic centers, our universities, small businesses, and try to find solutions for these conditions. And Chicago and Illinois leaders are are really trying to get the feds to at least put part of it in Chicago. So, you know, for some more background on this, Senator Tammy Duckworth, she was part of a group of lawmakers back over the summer who wrote a letter to the feds essentially, you know, touting Chicago's strengths as a life sciences hub and asking them to bring the entire ARPA-H project uh, to the Chicago region. Since then, the project has evolved a little bit. And so what we know now is that it'll be headquartered in the D.C. area, but then have two other U.S. cities where it has sort of what it's calling hubs. They're looking to do this this hub and spoke strategy. So most of the work I think will be done in DC, but they're looking for, you know, other areas of the country to participate and bring their strengths to the table. And so now Chicago and Illinois are going after, I think, one, though they said that they, you know, leaders have said they'd be open to having both. I, I think that's unlikely. But, you know, one center is going to be focused on sort of the investor side and the other will be focused on more of the innovation side. Okay. And is there thought about where it would go if Chicago were to get it? Yeah. So in some previous reporting, I was talking to World Business Chicago and, you know, they mentioned that anywhere near our big academic universities would make sense. So, 
you know, near University of Chicago, near Northwestern and Evanston. Fulton Market was also floated as a possibility just because we're seeing a lot of our life sciences developments go there. And I think, you know, it'd be nice for there to be sort of some synergy and uh, geographic closeness among the work being done for the government, as well as, you know, just the work being done by our locally grown life sciences companies as well. And, you know, I know when we think of hubs of different types of of medical research, you know, Boston, certainly like there around Harvard and MIT, uh, you know, we think of Silicon Valley of some of the more uh, like tech startup kind of stuff. What is Chicago's reputation right now? I know it's it's it shifts a lot and a lot has happened over the last three years. But but where are we right now in, in terms of that kind of biomedical hub status? I would say Chicago's life sciences industry is really considered an up and comer right now on the national stage. I think if you remember the recent Chan Zuckerberg Biohub initiative and how Chicago beat out, I think, dozens of other U.S. cities for that $250 million investment here, that really put Chicago on the map. And some people that I've spoken with say, you know, that's that's an encouraging sign that the feds would really consider putting the new ARPA-H project in Chicago. You know, Chicago has sort of struggled historically to compete with the places you mentioned, like Silicon Valley or Boston on the life sciences front. Much of that has just come from a lack of, I think, investor support and sort of venture capital that helps get these sort of companies off the ground. Mm -hmm biotechnology and life sciences, pharmaceutical companies, they require much more funding uh, to grow than just your typical, you know, software product or, you know, consumer app or, you know, even a CPG company, you know, that's manufacturing snacks or something. Uh, You know, medical innovation requires so much capital and usually so much time. These are really long bets too. So I think it's harder to find those investors interested in sort of, uh, you know, investing a ton of money and waiting uh, longer than usual for a return on their investment. But, you know, Chicago at the same time has this really rich medical industry, right? We have you know, some of the biggest and I think most respected academic medical institutions in the country, you know, from Northwestern Medicine to University of Chicago Medicine. And there's also the more traditional healthcare players like Advocate Health, formerly Advocate Aurora, which after its merger with Atrium is now the fifth largest medical system in the whole country. So that's something that really puts Chicago on the map from a medical industry perspective as well. Yeah. So what kind of things might we expect from lawmakers who are kind of courting this this initiative to, to get it here? Tammy Duckworth's people were telling me that she's already been in really close contact with members from the Illinois congressional delegation. And she is in contact with the ARPA-H director, Renee Wegdren, who she was just appointed in October. So she's fairly new, but she's overseeing this entire project. And Duckworth's office says that she has plans to bring her here to Chicago, sort of show her what we have to offer. I was talking to World Business Chicago folks as well who said they also are making plans to, you know, give anyone who's interested from the federal government a tour of Chicago and sort of give them an insight into the innovation that's already happening here, introducing them to the scientists at some of our best universities, as well as our local companies, and really making the case that, you know, Chicago's life sciences industry is growing and that, um, you know, it could really one benefit from the ARPA-H project, but that I think ARPA-H could also benefit from being here in Chicago. 
that's actually a perfect segue for my next question is kind of what would that change? What, what would that look like if, it, if we were to get it, if it were to be here, what kind of impact would that have? One, there's a possibility that it could bring uh, a significant amount of jobs. We don't know exactly how many yet, but job creation is certainly part of the picture. Prestige, I think, is another thing that would you know, really matter to some folks here in the life sciences community. I think similar to the Chan Zuckerberg initiative, which you know was sort of a demonstration that Chicago has what it takes, landing ARPA-H would, would be similar. The final, maybe most important thing is there could be an incredible amount of investment, just funding coming to Chicago for this type of work. You know, Biden has asked Congress to approve $6 billion for the project. So far, $2.5 billion has been approved. We're unsure exactly how much of that would be allocated to the hubs, the ARPA-H hubs, you know, versus the funding going to D.C. I'm sure most of it would be going to D.C. since that appears to be the, would be the largest outpost for the project. But, you know, even just $500 million or something in Chicago, that's a lot of money. I mean, that's double what the Chan Zuckerberg uh, initiative is bringing. So I think there's certainly opportunities there just from a pure funding and investment perspective. Yeah, certainly. So so what kind of timeline are we looking at? When might we know if we're shortlisted? When might a decision be made? All that good stuff. So we've been told that a decision is going to be made in the fall, fall of 2023. I imagine there will probably be a short list or finalist list provided before then. So I'll certainly be looking out for that and keeping in touch with, with uh, Senator Duckworth about you know what she's hearing and sort of where Chicago stands um, in the competition. There's, you know, many other states are also throwing their hat in the ring, like Massachusetts, of course, Texas and some others. So I would look at this as a competition. You know, we're certainly trying to court the federal government and show them what we have and why it's better than some of their other options. If selected, what kind of timeline would we be looking at before it's online and and running? At this point, we're unsure of the exact timeline, but, you know, based on what we've seen in the past, usually these programs can get up and running um, in about a year or two. I think it'll depend on, you know, maybe what the real estate investment looks like. But if it's not, you know, that large, it's something that could maybe get up off the ground sooner than that. So we'll have to see. Yeah, we'll have to see. And I'm sure there'll be plenty to report between now and then. All right. Well, thanks so much, Catherine. Always a pleasure. Thanks, Amy. Coming up, a Lurie Children's Hospital survey finds that most Chicago parents and kids worry over mass shootings. We'll talk about that and more right after this. Crane's Audio Studio presents Four Star Stories, The Felonious Adventures of a Chicago Mole, a four-part series reported by Albie Galoon. This is a story about second and third chances. It's about a brash dealmaker who helped the feds convict a Chicago alderman in Tony Resco, a fundraiser for former Governor Rod Blagojevich. He's the kind of guy where lawyers say, man, if this guy flew straight, he would really be something. John Thomas, a real estate investor who worked undercover for the FBI, has been called a serial con man by federal prosecutors. He says he changed his ways after a trip to prison. But has he? Some people just have the grift in them. They can't get it out of them. They were born with it. I mean, they were stealing penny candies when they were, you know, six years old. 
The Felonious Adventures series is produced by Crane's Audio Studio as part of Four Star Stories, Crane's ongoing effort to tell the story of Chicago's past, present, and future through the voices of the people who live and work here. Subscribe on your favorite podcast platform to hear The Felonious Adventures of a Chicago Mole, available now. This is the Crane's Daily Gist with Amy Guth. Health insurance companies and employer-sponsored plans will no longer have to pay for certain preventative health care services now that a federal judge in Texas ended the federal mandate requiring them to do so. Catherine Davis, Crane's health care reporter we heard from earlier in the podcast, reported that the decision, which came Thursday morning from Judge Reed O'Connor, vacated the Affordable Care Act's preventative services rule when it granted Braidwood Management's request to discontinue a requirement that it pay for PrEP, an HIV medication. The ruling now means health insurers won't have to fully cover some other preventative health care services, such as cancer and diabetes screenings. Davis noted in reporting that without the requirement, insurers and employers are free to begin charging copays and other fees for certain common preventative services, which could, according to experts, deter patients from seeking care. According to the Kaiser Family Foundation, about 100 million Americans use preventative services required by the ACA in a standard year. Larry Levitt, Kaiser's executive vice president for health policy, said at a news briefing with reporters that the ruling only applies to updates or new recommendations since March of 2010 when the ACA was enacted. Davis noted that the ruling does not overturn coverage of women's health services recommended by the Health Resources and Services Administration or for vaccines recommended by other agencies. Davis reported that Levitt also said it's unlikely that insurance companies will immediately make preventative coverage changes to their plans as most insurance contracts are in place for the current calendar year, meaning any coverage changes wouldn't appear till next year. Levitt said he expects insurance companies to continue to cover most preventative services in some capacity, but that they will likely try to share more of those costs with patients. Davis further noted that Levitt also said that if the ruling is upheld, state regulators may try to step in, but they are limited by the fact that they can only regulate private insurance plans, not self-insured employer plans, which cover most people in the U.S. The Illinois Department of Insurance, which regulates the state's health insurance providers, signaled that it may try to fill in some of the gaps that ruling creates, saying in a statement to Cranes that it is, quote, committed to protecting insurance consumers and that the ruling is a, quote, setback for consumer access and market stability. In a statement, American Medical Association President Dr. Jack Resnick wrote that the organization is, quote, alarmed by what he described as the, quote, deeply flawed court ruling in Texas that jeopardizes access to preventative health services. He argued that the ruling could put millions of patients at risk for losing full or partial coverage for cholesterol treatment, tobacco and alcohol cessation programs, some vaccines, and childhood screenings for lead poisoning, hearing loss, and autism. Resnick further said in the statement, quote, providing insurance coverage for screenings and interventions that prevent disease saves lives, period. The Redefine the Drive project extending parts of DuSable Lakeshore Drive would lead to an extended Oak Street Beach. Based on renderings released by the Illinois Department of Transportation and the Chicago Department of Transportation over the last week. 
Cranes Corley J reported that along with the creation of additional green spaces, the non-finalized renderings show adjacent park space for Oak Street Beach, additional pedestrian and bike access points, and extra lakefront trails from the near north side to uptown. Jay also noted that the project also includes an updated shoreline design that was described as providing lakefront paths that will be, quote, fully protected from winter storms and usable year-round. That according to a website for the project. First introduced in 2013, the project would extend North DuSable Lakeshore Drive from Grand Avenue to Hollywood Avenue and seeks to revamp 22 bridges and tunnels on the drive as they have, quote, reached the ends of their useful lives and may warrant complete reconstruction or major rehabilitation. There's been no word on the estimated cost of the project, Jay pointed out in reporting, and also noted that community input has been touted as a big component of the Redefine the Drive project. A public meeting is expected for some time this fall. CVS Health and Chicago-based Oak Street Health are moving ahead with their proposed merger after overcoming a key regulatory obstacle. Crane's sister publication Modern Healthcare reported that the Justice Department and the Federal Trade Commission allowed the antitrust waiting period to lapse on Monday without taking action to prevent the two companies from combining. That according to a filing to the SEC on Thursday from Oak Street. Modern Healthcare pointed out in reporting that that doesn't prevent those regulators from taking action at a later time, but it does clear the way for the deal to advance. CVS Health and Oak Street submitted the required paperwork to the Justice Department and the FTC on Friday, according to Oak Street. Oak Street also notified the SEC that it's asking shareholders to approve the CVS Health deal at a meeting on April 28th. The companies announced the proposed $10.6 billion transaction last month. CVS Health agreed to pay $39 per share in cash and to assume debt from the primary care chain. Oak Street operates more than 170 centers in 21 states. The company plans to expand to 300 locations by 2026, according to an investor call announcing the deal. If the transaction is finalized, Oak Street would be a wholly owned subsidiary of CVS Pharmacy. Modern Healthcare reporting also pointed out that healthcare transactions like this one regularly attract regulatory scrutiny, but recent major deals have survived antitrust reviews. For example, CVS Health completed its $8 billion deal to buy Dallas-based home health and physician enablement technology company Signify Health on Wednesday. And in the week prior, the Justice Department and the Attorneys General of Minnesota and New York backed off of efforts to block United Health Group's $13 billion purchase of technology company Change Healthcare. And earlier this year, Amazon completed a $3.9 billion acquisition of New York and San Francisco-based primary care provider One Medical. According to a survey taken by Ann and Robert H. Lurie Children's Hospital of Chicago in late 2022, more than two-thirds of Chicago parents polled were worried about a possible shooting at their children's school. And 73 percent reported worrying about mass shootings in other public places. According to the latest survey called Voices of Child Health in the Chicago Parent Panel Survey conducted by Lurie Children's Hospital, many parents also perceive that their children are also worried about mass shootings either at school or other public places as well. Crane's John Aspland noted in reporting on the matter that the report was published Thursday, coincidentally on the heels of a mass school shooting in Nashville.
Dr. Matthew M. Davis, chair of the Department of Medicine at Lurie Children's and chair of pediatrics at Northwestern University Feinberg School of Medicine, said in a statement, quote, After so many mass shooting tragedies across the country, considerable parental anxiety about their children's safety is not surprising and is consistent with data from national polls. His statement continued by saying, quote, Our survey results further underscore that fears about mass shootings impact youth health and well-being, especially in the context of the ongoing youth mental health crisis. The latest Voices of Child Health survey results came from more than 1,000 parents from all 77 community areas in Chicago. The survey is conducted three times per year. In November, the Lurie survey reported that one quarter of parents surveyed in May of 2022 through July of 2022 said that their children had heard gunshots when at home and that one in five parents said their children's mental health had been impacted by exposure to gun violence, with the most common symptoms reported as feeling increased fear and worry. You can find a link to the full Voices of Child Health report at chicagobusiness.com. That's Crane's Daily Gist for now. Check in on our continuous news feed at chicagobusiness.com. Thanks so much to today's guest, Crane's healthcare reporter, Katherine Davis. You can follow all of our conversations on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you like to get your audio on demand. Don't forget to subscribe and please rate and review Crane's Daily Gist. Our show is produced by Todd Manley at Earsight Studios. I'm Amy Guth. Thanks so much for listening, and I'll meet you right back here next time.